Because a lot of times, like, I think we, we focus on pain and negative experiences from childhood. And that's that's good. I get it. Those are those are those are there. Yeah. But then there are experiences that we might not reference as negative or painful that are impacting us. And you know, a lot of this has to do with uh, you know, there's other concepts like reparenting, which is this idea that you know you you grew up with your parents and they did the best they could, however bad or good you perceive it, they did the best they could. I mean, this is just the best way to think about it. And the funny thing about this that I found, and it's like a big switch. Uh, is this idea that um, whatever experience that they they whatever experience you had was your experience regardless of what their intention was and that's life that's relationships and that's something I think really important because then you can start understanding not what did they mean when they said something or did something it's more what did I internally take in and what story did I create, regardless of what they meant or their intention. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Hiten Shah. Heard about Hiten a long, long time ago. He's one of these people who's been really generous over the years with giving unique insights that only come from playing in the battlefield. Uh, and so it's been a huge honor and inspiration to talk with him today. Really valuable information, really valuable wisdom we got out of this talk. Hiten has a lot of interesting things to say about work, shadow work, about the work that's necessary for you to do as a founder or as anybody who's in a creative field in order to understand where you're holding yourself back and where these thought illusion palaces are creating stress in your life and suffering. And he gives a lot of insight in how to integrate that, how to know what to do about that it's not like work in the sense of working for a business or anything like that it's work in understanding your own processes self-awareness the key keys to knowing yourself this is a really important episode i'm really honored and grateful that i got to sit down with hitan and have this conversation and if you're if you're interested uh, i'm running an online course in a couple weeks it's application only mostly going through my own network what I'm going to do is offer startup founders important information for how to raise money for a distributed company. Um, I'm teaming up with my friend uh, Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth, who raised $40 million in a seed series and then a series A. Uh, and I'm going to be extracting the information from him in an interview style, but it will only be available to applicants. So you you need to apply in order to, to get this information. We're going to have a, a Course will start on a Monday, live training with Anders. You can ask him questions. And then on Friday, we'll close it up with anything that came through, help you with the pitch, working through the pitch. And at the end, um, you can send me your, well, the people who can apply will basically send me their pitches and, and the best ones I'll, I'll choose from and, and uh, send them to my network of, of angel investors. And, and, uh, and so you'll get an access to some investors if you end up, if the pitch is valuable and, and we think it's, it's a good opportunity for some of the investors in my network. So not only getting really good information on how to raise money, but you might also get some leads into, into raising money itself. Um, so if you're interested, please find my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. Sign up for the blog. I'll be including more information on that blog. Uh, including uh, times you can you can apply um, and an application process and everything like that. Pretty simple application process. Just want to make sure that that what you're doing is legitimate and that you've got good reasons for doing it. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I hope hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please please find me at stewardallsop.substack.com uh, in order to find more information about this online course with Anders Jones. Hope you'll enjoy this episode and hope you have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Hitan Shah, and hey. I'm really excited to have you on. I've, I've, I've been reading your stuff for years, and I'm really just kind of excited to dig into your whole worldview, philosophy, everything like that. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Uh, so it, right, might, it might change tomorrow, though. So. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. Permanence, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, we could go to that. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what? Um, and right before we talked, we talked about uh, uh, spirituality and why human the human experience might not necessarily be a spiritual experience. And I'm really interested to understand what you meant by that. Sure. Uh, well, you were talking about you know spirituality and uh, work and explaining to me why you're doing this podcast and how like you want sort of a, a mix of both of those. And there's people from different worlds, whether it's spiritual uh, folks who are more spiritually inclined and then folks who kind of are business people, uh, startup people uh, that do work. And uh, I was just mentioning that, like, you know, uh, we were trying to define what spirituality is, yeah. as you were saying it. And um, one of the things that just came to mind is that, like, it, is spirituality about the human experience or is it about the non-human experience, whatever that may be? What, what is it? Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with, uh, a lot of spirituality has to do with what you want to believe mm. or what you believe or what you believe right mm. now, because maybe your beliefs will change, right? There's many folks who grew up in a certain religion uh, and decided that like that was no longer serving them mm. and then made a change, mm. right? So I think that, it's we're, we're in a time right now where like change is constant across speeding, our lives across up almost. yeah it's speeding up too yeah. i think intensely mm-hmm. and um if you're open to spirituality and open to different things uh and exploring them i think there's a unlimited amount of options out there if you look at some of the content out there from the very esoteric side that talks about aliens and things like that all the way to kind of the scientific you know scientific one around the benefits of meditation uh, right yeah. um you'll basically see that the this is something i really find fascinating that like a lot of the websites and a lot of the ways that people are doing things online they're only starting to shift in those categories mm-hmm. to be more modern what do you mean by that? Right. Like the websites. Like uh, when you, okay, when you, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, there are people yeah. that talk mm-hmm. about aliens online. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. there are people that channel alien mm-hmm. things or what they call alien. We don't even know what that really means. Uh, and they're doing like sound meditations that are channeled as they call it. And then there's mm-hmm. folks who, uh, you know, are, uh, you know, very active, calm and headspace sort of customers. And rational right? kind of more in that rational space. And more in the rational yeah. space. Mm-hmm. And like, we're, we're just starting to see this, uh, stuff coming online a lot more well and something i've, yeah. I've been interested in so I've, I've, i started getting into this about oh, well, a long time ago when i was 21 so i've been doing it for now 13 years yoga i've been doing yoga, yoga as a exercise for about 13 years yeah. and then i started to meditate about seven or eight years ago and i noticed that a lot of the meditation websites were built uh so, uh, the most easily they had a lot of the um easiest ui essentially uh yeah. the, and that was like the vipassana kind of buddhist meditation uh, yeah. a lot of the the the, the new ones and the kind of like uh, new age uh, new age ones were out there with all sorts of colors and yeah. just kind of random stuff yeah. but the the the, the buddhist ones the vipassana ones were like had very clear ui like not much stuff on the and yeah. so and then this reminds me of another thing that i've noticed which is that programmers were the first ones who started to bring the talk of meditation online 
uh, because they were the ones in the, in the 80s and the 90s who had a fluency with computers. And so a lot of the earliest content you start to get, you start to see about meditation came from these, these programmers, basically. Uh, so it's an interesting aspect from very rational people who, who uh, do this. And it's actually, I think I would say a high percentage of the content still out there. Uh, what do you think about that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, it came online in that way because those are the folks that probably gravitated to it early mm -hmm. and could put it online. Exactly. Right? Simply put, yeah. right? If you mm -hmm. could put it online, you're going to put it online. And back then, it was much easier to sort of for a developer to put things online than anybody else because mm -hmm. you had to actually make a website, code in HTML, and things like that. Let's get into your personal experience of the internet. When was the first time that you used the internet? Uh, I started having a computer when I was eight. Okay. So I was on bulletin board systems back then. Oh. Uh, pre, you know, Prodigy and AOL and all those things. So I got on the internet pretty early. Uh -huh. uh, and how life. did yeah. it shape your early life? Uh, well, from an internet standpoint, I think it opened up the possibilities of being able to, frankly speaking, communicate with people across uh, time zones mm. and the world even, uh, or even find people locally, but online, right through online. And so this was in basically 89, mm. 1989. Uh, and 1990 is when I probably first got online like that, uh, when I had my first computer and it wasn't online at the time, mm -hmm. right? So it was a lot different and you were able to communicate. It was all text, right? And you were just basically either sharing different files or, uh, you know, messing around with MP3s cause those are the Winamp days and things like that. Um, or actually pre Winamp, but like, uh, we were just sharing files, <laughs> you know, that was like the main thing that was happening, mm -hmm. uh, text files, uh, programs, whatever it is. Uh, and that was really early on. And we were communicating using these bulletin boards and talking about any kind of topic that you wanted to. So I don't necessarily remember a ton of what I conversed about or talked about cause uh -huh. I was young. Right. Yeah. But like definitely remember playing some of the games back then, like Wolfenstein 3d, mm. things like that. Uh, and then I learned uh, QBasic, even though I, I don't program. Uh, that was the first programming language I learned in the last one. <laughs> uh, basic QBasic. Uh -huh. uh, I'd go into Radio Shack and uh -huh. uh, run a loop. Uh -huh. And they couldn't figure out how to turn it off. It was like a counting loop, right? Uh -huh. uh, unless you knew Command-C, uh -huh. right? Or Control-C. And they didn't know. Uh, they didn't know. The Radio Shack <laughs> folks didn't necessarily know. It was like these Tandy computers, right, that they were selling at Radio Shack. Uh -huh. So that was like, you know, that was probably by the time I was 10 or 12. Um yeah, so like I think for me that was the early origins of the internet and how it shaped me was just this openness to being able to connect and get information all around the world within global network. Yeah. Uh, do you do you interact with anybody who's say like thirteen these days or like anywhere from the age of twelve to twenty uh, who is also I mean obviously using the internet and just how do you interact with anybody like that? Well, my, my, one of my, my, my son is nine okay. and my daughter is five. And so th that's probably the most common interaction that I have with uh, kids. And mm. I think what's interesting there is their ability to go on YouTube and hit the voice button mm -hmm. and start talking into it and oh, finding whatever they want. Oh. So they tend to use the voice button for search, for search. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Especially my daughter who's five. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I and then, that. and then they have, uh, at my son's school, they have Google classroom which is basically on the basically on the Chromebooks, and he's loaned a Chromebook, and he can use that, uh, and he's in Google Docs mm. actually, mm. and writing his essays and stuff in there, <laughs> which is so <laughs> different from from our our age because like back when I was uh, you know in that age like it it was you know you write the paper on the computer at home, you print it out, you bring it to the school and everything like that. And now all of that, that whole chain is now gone, right? Yeah. Essentially, like it's just... It's yeah, and just, for me, it was all pen and paper. 
Interesting. Right back right. then, uh-huh. and and uh, and then you know the first software I used, which wasn't for school, was like WordPerfect. Uh huh. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I feel like there's a cool way we could take this to technology and the. I mean, we were already talking about spirituality. What What is your view on the relationship between spirituality and technology? How is technology? We talked about it a little bit in terms of these these kind of like. Um, people who are now putting their ideas onto this and stuff like that. But where do you think it goes from here? I think the knowledge gets more accessible. Okay. So whether it's like all the different things that you can do when you get in a meditative state um, or even the research that, you know, if you start digging around, you start learning about like, you know, different brain waves and the type of different brain uh, sort of waves and uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Delta, gamma, Mm -hmm. different kind of uh, states that you can get yourself in. Uh, and things like that. So I think, you know, those are just examples, but there's just going to be a proliferation of information about Mm. spirituality, meditation, different practices, different things people are doing. Mm. There's a bunch of communities online. There's obviously all the, all the various apps. And I think that's just going to increase. And we're going to start seeing folks who are talking about things that we might not really believe are possible Mm. today. Right. Or it's not commonly held beliefs that things are possible that certain folks who have you know meditated a lot or whatever it may be have been able to experience you know and one of the one of the ironies of that to get a little deeper in a way is that you know what i've learned through my explorations is that you 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 know there's a lot of uh you know like there's a lot of concepts out there when it comes to spirituality and learning about yourself and doing shadow work or your ego or you know, being able to feel energy in your body or feel how certain things make you feel in your body and then going into that and then getting feelings out of that and emotions out of that. And then there's also things like, oh, there are healers out there, right? And there's people who are mediums who can talk to the dead, so to speak, or the people who have passed on. Uh, um, People talk about other dimensions, right? The, The stuff's there. It's online. It's in books even. You can buy them on Amazon. Yeah, uh-huh. They're not obscure. You yeah. don't have to go to some random bookstore to find it. You know, and I think as this information comes up, the irony I was going to mention is if you go to a, like a monastery or you go into like uh, where the monks are, right, and the temples, in a way, like they don't care about the healing and all that. They might be able to do it. Who knows, right? If you believe in that, you yeah. want to believe it. But like they might be able to do it. But their experience at that level of meditation is just almost like pretty much transcended a lot of transcended a lot of that. Mm. There's no gurus there. There's nothing like that. They're just mm. there. Yeah. And again, they might have access to all that, mm. but they're beyond it. Well, and that's the thing. You that, know? And that's the thing that comes to my my mind when you when you're talking about this is there is all that stuff out there. But then for anybody who's been doing it for a long enough time, you realize that none of it solves the issue. Like none of the, right. none of the content, none of the, none of the new ideas, none of the new concept ever gets to that. I mean, it might show you a little piece of it, but it seems unrelated or uncorrelated or uncausal to, to, to this like state that, yeah. that these people talk about. Even in, even in the, in the monks, you know, I spent a lot of, a lot of time in Thailand and in, in Buddhist monasteries and, and that they don't have it. <laughs> they, like that a lot of them don't have it. Yeah. So maybe some of them have it. And there's no way to tell whether well, somebody else has it either. They're not going to like, yeah. it's, it, I don't even know if it's an ability, right? Yeah. It's, mm. it's just something that we can yeah. all access, right? Is, is like exactly. the, yeah. the thing that the conclusion I've come to. Yeah. And it's, it's more about what your path is, what you believe, like mm. where you want to kind of experience your life, right? Mm. Do you want to, you know, be in a world where you're looking to, you know, achieve certain things right? That are actually material. And that's, that's okay, right? That, that's business. That's work. That's uh, in a lot of ways life, right? Then there's a spiritual side of things as well. And like, I think we're, we're hitting a point where we're starting to see more folks who are business people and actually do work and have achieved things, 
you know, um, either turn to that. So a lot of folks do it later in life is kind of the common practice right now. And they turn to it once they have a certain amount of wealth or security in their lives and stuff like that. I think what we're going to start seeing more and more is folks who haven't reached that level of sort of material wealth mm-hmm. uh, kind of mm-hmm. getting into it. And mm-hmm. I find that interesting because mm-hmm. then what does that mean for work? Mm-hmm. And I think it's something I commonly go into on the show is that I think that that shift, particularly for people who don't have that type of wealth, partly is because of that access because they now see a lot of people with wealth saying wealth doesn't do that yeah. this and stuff like that partly also because of stress and we are now entering an age go back to an earlier point of the change the rate of change is now speeding up so yeah. it's like and that causes a lot of stress and so people are now getting more and more open to these things because what does what does meditation do what does a spiritual life do it changes our attitude towards stress it changes our ability to integrate stress and to right. be aware of it and stuff like that right mm. yeah that's totally true i think i think we're probably stressing ourselves out a lot more because of technology Mm -hmm. to your question about technology and spirituality. And so now we're turning to spirituality to kind of solve those problems or help us solve those problems. Mm. And so you mentioned shadow work and I would love to have a conversation about that. Sure. uh, Because it's been a key part of my life for the past uh, a long time, but, but really like intentionally for the last six months or so and uh, how, well, how do you explain shadow work to people who don't Sure. Know? Well, I'd turn it back on you and say, how would you explain okay. it? You've worked on it for six months, you know? Uh-huh. I'd love to know, or you've been exposed to it. And, so yeah. I essentially see it as uh, we go through experiences in life, particularly in childhood life, and we section off parts of us that were too painful in those moments to deal with. And we don't look at those parts and we create identities about what those parts mean and, and what happens if you look at those parts. And then shadow work is not looking at the good parts of us because we already kind of look at that but that's you know it's a simplification but it's essentially looking at the looking at those parts in a honest direct non-judgmental way and bringing them up to the surface so that we can learn from them that's what i would i would describe as shadow work i know that Jung, you know comes from the philosophy of Jung, and i want to get more into carl yeah i want to get more into his his uh, viewpoints on it but i haven't actually studied him so i don't yeah yeah Yeah, uh, i think that that's uh that's definitely a good way to think about it. The one one thing I would sort of uh, use for myself is uh, I wouldn't consider shadow work. Um, I think it's a part of spiritual work that mm-hmm. people do. That mm-hmm. would be the category it's in. And I wouldn't necessarily consider it about pain. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I've experienced it and, and kind of view that kind of work on yourself. So it's like self-help, self-development, spiritual work that you do is you have certain behaviors and certain things that you repeatedly do. Mm. Many of those things are essentially subconscious. You're not conscious to them. You're just operating with them, holding them. And that subconscious layer sometimes just comes out and shows up. Mm. And usually it shows up in ways that tend to cause pain on yourself or others, probably both, um, or just out there like you're you're causing pain for yourself by how you're thinking about something or somebody or some interaction or something in the world uh, that's happening even if like something bad happens in the world and you have a certain reaction whatever that may be uh, there's there's potentially something from childhood there that you can work on um, some would say there's even past life mm-hmm. things if you believe in that mm-hmm. and so the way I, I i look at it is like when there's a existing event that happens not existing but something that happens today in your life I think shadow work helps you understand where it came from. Mm-hmm. And there's therapists that can help you do that. Mm-hmm. There's certain modalities that can help you do that. 
Um, there's things like focusing, uh, psychotherapy modality. There's a uh, sort of NLP modalities around that. There's uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy that can kind of help you with that. Um, but shadow work to me, all this other stuff mm -hmm. to me goes back to kit. Basically me as a human being, if I were to speak to myself, it's like, or for myself, I would be like, can I identify the root cause of when this happened or when this started and what story I created? And then the, the fact, the idea, the concept that I continue that story on for the rest of my life until this point where hopefully I'm conscious mm -hmm. to that, mm -hmm. to the behavior and I'm able to go find the story mm -hmm. and then be at peace with it. And, and, and this only happens if you are actually conscious of wanting to find those things and, and wanting to be like, why am I, you know, asking questions like, why am I the way that I am? And even things like that don't quite get you there. What gets you there is some form of a crisis or some form of a repetitive pattern that you see in your life that you're like, hey, like, you know, I, I want to change this. I want to improve this. Right. And then you can go use multiple different modalities and then go figure out, OK, where did it start? What can I do about it? Right. And how do I either change it? How do I, you know, a, a lot of the, some of this work has to do with talking to your inner, inner child or talking to your two year old self, four year old self, five year old self, whenever something might have happened that's either traumatic or just an experience. Because a lot of times, like I think we, we focus on pain and negative experiences from childhood. And, and that's that's good. I get it. Those are those are those are there. Yeah. But then there are experiences that we might not reference as negative or painful that are impacting us. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, there's other concepts like reparenting, which is this idea that, you know, you, you grew up with your parents and they did the best they could, however bad or good you perceive it, they did the best they could. I mean, this is just the best way to think about it. And the funny thing about this that I found, and it's like a big switch, uh, is this idea that um, whatever experience that they, they, whatever experience you had, was your experience, regardless of what their intention was. Mm. And that's life, that's relationships. And that's mm. something I think really important because then you can start understanding not what did they mean when they said something mm. or did something, it's more what did I internally take in and what story did I create, regardless of what they meant or their intention. Because I think that that identification of what they did with their intention or perceived intention isn't as strong and useful to you as what, what did I create? What story did I create? Where, where, where did my mind go? What happened, right? Yeah. What, what am I still carrying from there instead of what did they do to me? And it's so a couple of points. That was beautiful. And you mentioned one thing that made me realize about uh, uh, something in Shaivite, Advaita Vedanta or in Buddhism that they call talk about samskara and the, yes. the, the it's a, a transition of impression yes and it can happen because of aversion to pain or it can be happen to grasping to pleasure so it's like and like you said there are those experiences yeah. where they just created this impression like a ripple you know drop a water and they <laughs> create a ripple in the in the in the, in the pool and um, then another one another important thing that I want to reflect on is that it's been huge for me is that in those experiences that were very difficult, I was always there. So there was a yep. part of me choosing that thing. And, it was, yeah. you know, there's no judgment about it that, you yeah. know, because like an eight-year-old doesn't know how to yeah. do that. But Well, 
consciously do that. Consciously, yeah. yeah. So exactly. So yeah. so that that part of me but you found were doing a it. way to do it, yeah. and that way no longer works very well. And like that exactly. Way, and then yeah. you know, mm-hmm. there's a process in certain modalities where you're thanking mm-hmm. the, the 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 child for having the experience. Mm-hmm. You're thanking yourself for having the experience as you grew up, and you can now let it go, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't serve you. I think. One, one piece I really do believe in is this idea of samskara and, and the impression mm-hmm. and how you hold that impression, mm-hmm. right? So it's really about finding a lot of those things if you want to sort of, uh, if you want to explore those aspects mm-hmm. yeah, of, you don't of yourself. To. Like, no, yeah. you don't need yeah. to. Mm-hmm. You are welcome to just be, you <laughs> yeah. know? Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, this reminds me of the work of Christopher Wallace, who's a, a scholar who, a Sanskrit scholar and practitioner who um, is translating a lot of what happened in Kashmir in the ninth century. Um, and uh, he talks about the best way to work with these, these samskara impressions that have been left on us is to fully digest them. Uh, and so uh, uh, what does digest mean? It means to essentially um, experience it with no sense of pushing it away. And no sense of grasping to it, which is yeah something that I wanted to bring up about because a lot of people come on this path and they're like, okay, these things are working. I'm going to do this. I see this. I see this pattern in me. Now I'm going to do the opposite because that's what I'm supposed to be doing to be a good person. But then it's like that just it's the it's the reaction to the thing. It just continues the cycle over and over again. And it's, it seems to be there's this subtle point where you kind of just like recognize it without really needing to take any material action. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more of being the observer to it mm-hmm. instead of having okay. to worry about being the opposite or not the opposite and, and releasing it, mm-hmm. right? A- another way to think about that is if the samskara is an impression um, and you're looking to sort of get past it, uh, another way to look at it is, is acceptance of it. And then and then what would I, what do I want my experience to be mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, and, and this gets into... He talk, talks about something that might be in that space that most people would reject until they've had ex- experiential understandings of it, of something called the energy body. Um, yep. And and uh, and that digestion of those experiences makes the energy body stronger. So that so that there's this cool process that it starts happening once you do this is that you can then be open to all sorts of things that would have destroyed you beforehand because yeah. you've got this kind of like center where you can go to and that, that observer part is really key. Yeah. Uh, how does that show up in your life? Or how did you find out about it? What what did it was it always something? Well, I guess yeah. The, so yeah. Uh, I I like observing things. I um, think if you're gravitate towards people watching, you um, almost can have this natural inclination towards it. So for me, it's something that I enjoy doing. I like watching other people, and when you bring that inside, you're, you're pretty much watching yourself, right? And and I think it's more important to watch yourself than other people, <laughs> you know, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that internalization and, you know, I really find it even more fascinating at work, mm-hmm. you know, and at, at work, I've had some increasingly useful experiences um, that have been, uh, have led to a lot of growth, right? And w- one of them more recently is that I, I used to really care a lot about how I made someone else feel. So I would basically, and this comes from childhood, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff there and I've been working on it. And this idea that what I say and do might impact somebody in some negative way. And it would take me away from doing what's best for the business or what's best around the work. Or for you. Or yeah, for or even for me. Yeah. yeah, even more importantly in a lot of ways. And more recently, I, I'm removing myself from it. 
I'm removing the other people from it. I'm looking at it more objectively because it's a rational, practical thing if it's business related. Mm. There's really nothing mm. more to it, Interesting. frankly speaking. Yeah. And all the emotion gets in the way. And then the whole situation gets really noisy mm. about whatever the pragmatic thing is you're dealing with. So to me, I start breaking out now a lot of things between emotional and pragmatic, mm. right? And so, you know, uh, I, I gave some very pointed feedback, right? And I wouldn't say it was harsh. And in my opinion, and I don't think I would have changed it. And then someone came to me and they gave me feedback after in a way that they reacted. And they said, hey, like, you know, uh, does this mean that we shouldn't be working on this? Is that your impression? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, does this mean that? Because if it means that, let's talk about that. I said, actually, my perspective is different. There's a pattern I've noticed and this happens every time. Right. There's a certain pattern in the workflow of like one week I see something, I give some feedback. Uh, the next week I see something, I give some feedback and it's a certain type of feedback. Both times are different types of feedback based on Both what I see. And then the third time things are a lot better mm-hmm. and I'm not giving the same kind of feedback. Uh, right. So it's a different pattern than you might think. Right. Like what you were getting at. And so I just mentioned and we were at number two there, mm-hmm. number two point of feedback. And I was just telling this person, hey, my perspective is that. And that's it. I have no issues. Uh You keep doing what you're doing. I don't have any issues with that. Um, If you know, and I didn't even get into if you're having any issues. I didn't even get in the past. I would have been like, oh, crap. What did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. And I would have literally thought I did something wrong and think through the convo and try to figure out how to make it better. Apologize or do whatever I have to do. What I realized is it doesn't matter. And that and that, that that's a key thing because that brings up judgment and people on this before they've gone down this kind of path, they think, they hear that, they hear no judgment. And they think, oh, that means that I know, never give criticism. I never I never give yeah. feedback and stuff like that. But that's not that's not judgment. No. That's, that would, it would be uh, what, so there's discernment and discernment is figuring out what's going on without this sense of labeling it good or bad. That's the, that's the yeah. part of judgment that we want to look at. Uh, that's not necessarily, effective is the the moral good and bad uh, yeah yeah how can we remove as much of good and bad out of it Mm -hmm. there are things that are objectively good and bad i've done both yeah right and 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 if you for me like if you if you do good and you truly believe you're doing good there might be a reason for that you should dig into Mm -hmm. yeah truly if you objectively do bad there's probably a lot to dig into especially (laughs) if it's either a repetitive pattern or it's so bad that like you might find the pattern if you look into it, mm. right? And those are experiences, both sides, that I think are really fascinating. Mm. And both have helped me learn a lot about myself. Mm. And how to work better with people, frankly speaking. How to have way better relationships, work better with people, create healthy boundaries, as they call it, healthy relationships, things like that, I think, are really important here as well. And um, this idea of being able to do shadow work and being able to identify these things that are so ingrained in you that they're mm. basically subconscious can be really valuable. And it's interesting because in this area where we are, San Francisco and in Silicon Valley, uh, meditation has been popular among people in technology for a long time, but they haven't talked about it. But now we're starting to talk about it. And we're, we're in things like what you're talking about in the actual workspace where you're using something that I would call similar to nonviolent communication, where you, yeah. where you witness what you're experiencing and then reflect back to that person what what you think they're experiencing or, or I, I'm not sure. I yeah, I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think the way I would look at that is just 
they're they're usually going to tell you what they're experiencing mm-hmm. usually when there's a conflict or a perceived conflict mm-hmm. and for me it's my job to just communicate what i was experiencing mm-hmm. factually mm-hmm. and objectively mm-hmm. and pragmatically mm-hmm. with no emotion mm-hmm. even if i had emotion before mm-hmm. so if i had emotion before it would be like hey yeah. i'm sorry for communicating it in a way that made you feel that way mm-hmm. here's what was going on with me and all the reasons why i felt like i needed to say what i did that brings up or do what i did mm-hmm. That right. brings up a really interesting point about emotions and thoughts. Both of them are temporary phenomena, which we both experience, which all of us experience, which is which we have emotions and we have thoughts. Uh, a lot of people in the West think it's like separate, like thought yeah. and emotion. Uh, in, in, in other places, you, you consider them as manifestations of both. Like they're, they're both kind of the same thing, uh, but they're temporary. But then... What you're talking about feels like a different type of emotion, which is the kind of it's almost like a emotional residue, like a samskara, essentially, like yeah. transmitting your emotional experience onto the thing and calling that reality, yeah. basically, because um, it's good to have emotions like it's a very important thing to uh, uh, have emotions and uh, uh, sorry, um validate your own emotions and say yes i am feeling angry and all these different things Uh, but the problem then becomes when we when we project those onto other things people i think that's right Mm -hmm. yeah that projection is where the the sort of problems arise Mm -hmm. even if you're projecting something good Mm. it might not be wanted yeah (laughs) so this has been really this part of the conversation has been really fun and i kind of want to open it up what are you most excited about right now in life? Yeah. You know, I think it's at this very moment, um, I've had a year of discoveries about myself. Mm-hmm. And it's as uh, one of my businesses, FYI, is uh, sort of growing and scaling. And there's not necessarily challenges in the business, but the business is evolving. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the, the thing that excites me is the opportunity to see that happen and also be committed to um, self-improvement mm-hmm. and growing myself as the business grows and has different needs and things mm-hmm. scale, uh, improving the relationships I have at work, whether it's with my co-founder or with the team. Um, and, and a lot of that, I think, in business boils down to extremely clear communication mm-hmm. and really spending the effort and time there. Uh, one, one good example that uh, my co-founder, Marie, kind of has been talking about a lot uh, and has taught me a lot about, uh, and we kind of learned it together, but she's really the, I think the, 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 the head of the parade on this one, uh, is, uh, postmortems mm. and the idea mm. of reviewing things, uh, you know, after you do them. And we have a structure that she created a template for it. And we go through these things with every initiative we do in the business. And if you think about it, that's like self-reflection X happened what do I do about it, mm. right? Like mm. what actually happened? So I used to do this um, a long time ago and I've done this a lot is after a meeting, I'll take notes on the meeting, mm. after the meeting. Mm. If I didn't take notes in the meeting, fine, or I take notes in the meeting, that's different. But like, let's say I'm just meeting someone casually. Sometimes I'll take notes on the meeting after just to understand the experience what better, right? Or I'll, I'll at least reflect on it in my head of like, what just happened? Not even like, how could I, what could I have done better? What went wrong? But just like, how was that meeting? Right, I just have a story in my head about it. So then it's kind of closure for it if it needs it or it allows me to have really great relationships with people, follow up with them, not from a networking standpoint or anything, but like 
did I make any promises in the meeting? Mm-hmm. Did I commit to doing something or say say these certain things? Because to me, like these relationships are built over time mm-hmm. and they're built when you are really sort of compassionate and thoughtful with other folks, mm-hmm. but you're also like self-reflective. So I think that's like, you know, all of our marketing initiatives, they go through that. All of our product initiatives go through that. All of our growth initiatives go, to th- go through that. Our engineering things like that we ship and things like that go through that. Our launches for the product and the business go through that. And what I've found is that companies just aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And it really does come from spirituality, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because that's where introspection, observation, non-judgmental, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> thoughts uh, and non-judgmental observation, because there's observation and then there's non-judgmental observation, mm-hmm. right? And so, we, yeah. as, and then like, there's I know a, a lot of people say, oh, there's observation, I'm, 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 you know, observe. Yeah. But like non-judgmental observation is really what you're trying to do when people say, be the observer. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think people forget that aspect of it. So it's easy to keep judging. Interesting. Right. So I like to like add the pre-qualifier to some of these things. So to me, like these postmortems that we do and baking them more into the company and finding those kinds of things that are very aligned around, you know, spirituality and self-growth, which my co-founder and I are really into uh, and being able to bring it in a practical, pragmatic way to the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, without having any, uh, for lack of a better word, foo fooness mm-hmm. to it or anything that's yeah. like woo woo, foo foo, yeah. yeah. whatever way you want to say <laughs> it, um, and making sure that it can get integrated uh-huh. as a you know company process or value system or set of practices that we have and things like that. This is such an interesting point because it brings up this philosophy I was talking about, Christopher Wallace earlier. Uh, uh, in they in this philosophy in Kashmir. It was the ninth. I'll give a little bit of a backdrop. There was this essentially dark age where everybody stopped meditating for about uh, nine hundred to a thousand years, and they switched to something called devotion. So they would have a lot of devotion chanting and stuff, stuff like that. And that's a valid form of the, of the path. Yeah, of course. But uh, the, the and then in the ninth century Kashmir, they started to they basically innovated this new philosophy that had not shown up in in previously. And one of the key elements of that is that. In any experience, any phenomenon, there's a beginning, there's a middle, a sustaining, and an end. Uh, and uh, and this is re- repeating all the time throughout our awareness right now. There are things arising, staying, and then falling away. Uh, and then there's two other points I won't get into now. Uh, if you're curious, you can ask me. Uh, but So we got this. Now, company is really interesting because here we start a lot of things. There are a lot of things being started. And then you get into a company and then there's a sustaining phase of the company. And then the ending phase, hopefully, is a long way away. But you, I think, would have very interesting insight into this and this, basically. And and, and because there are different stages and they're different. I guess it's not this and this. It's like this and this, and then I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, I should explain this. That it's so. Yeah, you have interesting insight into this, and uh, and I'd love to get your perspective on the changing nature. Once you do at a different stage, what becomes important? What do you focus more time on? What are the things that yeah. a lot of people don't get when they're first starting out? Yeah, I'd say the phases you're talking about are really start, grow, scale, mm-hmm. right? And then there is an end, but mm-hmm. we're not going to worry about that end, yeah. right? So it's mm-hmm. start, grow, scale. I think when you're starting, uh, it's usually way smaller team, uh, usually. Uh, it's a scramble, right? And anything kind of goes, mm. right, so to speak. And I don't mean anything like in terms of interpersonal relationship stuff or anything. I just mean in the business, anything goes, you're experimenting, you're moving things around, 
hopefully you're being diligent and, you know, doing all the good things people talk about, like customer research and, you know, being iterative and really learning what problems mm. people have and all that stuff. So let's assume you're doing that. That's the start phase. At some point, that phase is over and you figured something out worthy of continuing, worthy of growing, mm. right? Then there's this like growing phase where like, you know, it's kind of like that uh, puberty phase in a way, right? It's like, okay, you figured it out. You're kind of a teenager. You're kind of growing up now, but you're not grown up yet. And I think in that phase, like that's when um, a lot of stuff shakes out, mm-hmm. right? Some people might leave because they just don't want to be part of a company at that grow phase or can't be mm-hmm. for whatever reason or can't be part of your company or that company, the phase. Uh, a lot of change happens in terms of people, right? In terms of like how, how you need to level up mm-hmm. and what, what things you need to do. Um, and then I think that's really important, right? But you might not be like, you know, doubling your team at that phase, mm-hmm. right? And then I point out to the scale phase. And I think that's when like, you know, as they say, things get really real, mm-hmm. right? And and you, you have um, so much, so I mean, this is when like you could hire a bunch of executives that have done it before, right? And then use that to scale the business or you could level up yourself, but you get to learn a lot about yourself during that phase. Mm-hmm. I think more than, in, in some ways, more than the first two. And most people don't um, get there. Most people don't yeah. get there because that's the phase where like so much change is happening that you have to change yourself to keep up. Mm-hmm. Well, in the start phase, it's just about managing. It's about managing emotions, but there's a lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get away with not having that same dilemma mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. I, I think the scale phase is also when team members, co-founders, folks start feeling more lonely, mm-hmm. even though there are other folks mm-hmm. and they've done all this together. Because you end up splitting up responsibilities, you end up having to divide and conquer a lot more mm-hmm. if you weren't before already. Uh, you end up having uh, to collaborate differently. You have to create these processes and systems, and there's just so much. It's just different, mm-hmm. and right? The amount of uh, uh, leadership and kind of aloneness and atopness or something like that that the, the, the yeah. that the founder experiences as they've gone from this more hierarchical or flat hierarchy to a, a actual necessary a system, hierarchy. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some kind of hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And at the growth phase, you could still get away with not mm-hmm. as much hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You could think that you're going to have a flat organization and things like that. At the scale phase, it's very rare to see something non-traditional scale, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's not a hierarchy. Right. That doesn't have reporting structures and regular reviewing Mm -hmm. stuff and like people managing each other and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And and, and I think it's a, you know, that's when like one on ones get more normal. Mm -hmm. Right. Between grow and scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And and some of this stuff, you know, you you, you kind of do earlier Mm -hmm. in the business if you're conscious of it so that you can just set those things up, which is great, uh, which is more like preparing for scale. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that that journey, and it's really interesting that it comes from spirituality of like the start, kind of the flatness that you mentioned, mm. or like the steady state, and then an end to something. Mm. Uh, I and, totally see that. And what the point that I forgot to mention was that you brought that up in the sense that you do a ending. There's a ritual there where you end it with reflection on what just happened, which yep. is a really important thing. That's right. Because that's oftentimes for less, like I do a bunch of interviews like this, yep. and I try to do that. I try to afterwards go on Twitter or go to my own personal notes and try to gleam out what just happened because that helps me when I then po- post it. That's one of the most difficult things for me is when I then post it onto, onto iTunes and they yeah. create all the so- show notes. Yeah. And like I got to remember, I don't want to listen to the whole hour because I was already there, but yeah. you know, so it's like, so just do it right afterwards yeah. and and then it's fresh, but it's so hard. There's so, it's, it takes so much discipline to, to sit down in front of the, in front of the computer and do it. Reviewing stuff right away is really key and important and yeah. it does take a lot of discipline. Yeah. And so what I've yeah. actually started doing and maybe I'll start doing this more is, uh, uh, I've started to 
uh, record, take videos of myself. This is actually, uh, not something I'm going to do. I've been doing for my notes, but this is now I'm something I want to do is I take a quick minute to explain a concept that I've never, uh, that I've, uh, that, that I, that I think is important. Uh, I'm just doing it every day in order to practice public speaking basically on the, on the video. Cause as soon as you put the video on, uh, it makes you think that it's going out to the public, even if nobody watches it Correct. basically. Right. So I'm going to start doing this for, for, so I'll do it. After that's awesome. Yeah. That's cause that's, that's one of the things I've realized is that writing, I have a lot of blocks on it. Speaking yeah. of how to work, like I have yeah. tons of blocks over writing. Yeah. But then there are other options. There's, there's, there's videos, there's yeah. recording. This this was my way around block, blocking yeah. for writing. Like recording yeah. this was was basically my way around getting. Yeah, I mean, you can record the the postmortem or the review. I mean, yeah. that's fine mm-hmm. if that works for you. Like, yeah. you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't need to write it, mm-hmm. right? I think doing it fresh is pretty useful, Yeah. right? Most of us don't have the kind of memory to like bring all that stuff up mm-hmm. a while later. Well, and that's, let's get into this. I love I love talking about this and you might, you might as well, but there, there's uh, some interesting uh, theories and practices going on about, uh, about how to manage knowledge and information. And uh, one of them called spaced repetition software, spaced repetition memorization. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a scientific fact that 90, 90% of the information that we learn will be gone within four days, basically. But if yeah. we have a reminder at three and a half days, it will then increase exponentially yep. the amount of time that we remember it. So there's software you can do. And then yep. there's this other guy, Tiago Forche, who believes that that's heretical. If we have computers, store it all on computers, you can search for it. So there's like, there's no reason to yeah, store it. There's a it. findability yeah, to exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's this 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 ridiculous nerdy war going on. Uh, I'm part of the uh, space repetition uh, camp. And yeah. um, wh- what do you think about that? Do you... Um, I think we have a luxury. And the luxury mm. is the computer. Mm. And we should use the luxury. Mm. Interesting. Uh, at the same time, we shouldn't... I don't believe we should uh, move away from basics. Mm. So space repetition to me is basics. Mm. And then there's a luxury, which is like technology. Mm. So my take is, what are the things you put in those buckets? Mm. So for me, I would spend more time on space, space repetition and <sighs> techniques like that around things that I want to make a habit. Mm. And, and do that regularly like new thing habit okay made it a habit great feel like it's sticky move on right mm-hmm. so what you want to make meditation a habit great like there, there's a way to do that maybe space repetition somehow can help you do that mm-hmm. if there's things you want to remember about meditation or from meditations and things like that uh, i know it is a memory technique mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of things that you don't need to have a memory for mm-hmm. you don't need to remember mm-hmm. we don't need to remember phone numbers yeah it's just a magic trick now mm-hmm. it's a trick if you can remember a phone number right so to me i think I would pick the things that make sense for those two different modes. I wouldn't say that one is better than the mm-hmm. other. That's that would be my sort of general tendency to mediate anyway. Mm-hmm. But that's how I think about that stuff. This gets into something really interesting because the written word made it useless to uh, have a really good memory in terms of a lot of things. So uh, the spaced repetition is actually the way they used to get around that problem before writing. We were allowed to write it down. They would tell stories uh, that they would transmit in um, uh, in uh, uh, a verse or, or things like that. And they would, this is really interesting. I've been, I've been learning jokes off the internet. And when you when you when you're remembering something that you're going to use later, you pick out one point, uh, and then you develop a story about that one point in your head, so you get emotional connection and stuff like that, and you yeah. visualize it, and you and so there is this there's this technique called a memory palace uh, where you yeah. basically uh, yeah you you probably know this where it's just but you basically go back into your childhood home and place objects into your childhood at home, and then visualize yourself 
going through those objects and, and, and noticing what objects are there and then and then you'll have a very good memory of what exactly you needed in that list it's yeah. used for like grocery shopping yeah you can like even that. do it without your childhood home you can mm. even do it in your current home mm. so i can associate something with a helmet there mm. the brita there right the i guess the oil canister there mm. uh the computer there the microphone and just place different words uh, or even ideas yeah, in them interesting. and then you won't forget have you used that stuff yeah oh, okay cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, i'm not using it right now yeah, yeah, yeah. but like uh you can do that in any space because uh-huh. we are very visual we can remember yeah. the space mm-hmm. you, you can remember what was in this space and this is what right. i was what i was what sparked it was this sense that because you used to create these elaborate visualizations to memorize these stories and stuff like yeah. that and and human beings as you said are very visual things if you take a mouse most of their brain is uh, represented towards olfactory, so their sense of smell. Yeah. For us, it's visual stuff. That's right. Which is interesting because now writing has kind of changed that a little bit. Where it's like it's, we don't have, yeah. we don't need those visualizations. This is what started happening to me when I started trying to do that. That the this technique of the memory palace, I started getting really weird, like visual hallucinations kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, because you're 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 getting back to the visual state. Yeah. Right. That like we, like we the, the, the core for the core part of us. So this brings up an interesting. It's not even verbal. It's visual. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. Right? So, You're yeah, talking about writing, but there's verbal, it's pre-verbal, uh, it's visual, whoa. even as a child. Yeah, and that's why visual. most... Oh, interesting. And faces are so important mm. as a result. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this brings up an interesting point. So writing changed our brains, uh, and it was a technology, a very early technology that changed our brains from something. And so what are the going to be the impacts? It's a difficult question. What are the impacts going to be on technology now uh, where we just have everything so many new tools are coming out that are going to make most of our habits, behaviors irrelevant. Um, what do you think about this? What, what talk about stress? Like it's already mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. I would say it's already happened. It's been happening. Yeah. It's just going to keep happening. Yeah. Right. Like we can record this and uh-huh. millions of people potentially could listen to it. Mm-hmm. Some people are able to watch it live if they are watching mm-hmm. and it, it, it just is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to yeah. evolve and, and, yeah. I I don't worry about predicting it. Mm. I just worry about like, mm. I do worry a lot about, not worry, but I do think about the history, right? Okay, a bunch of stuff changed. Where are we now? And thinking too much about the future in that way of like, how's technology going to change it and all that? Mm. I think it, it's, we can brainstorm it. We can come up with like a likelihood that these things are going to happen. But what's the point? Yeah. Right? So like if you're in a business and you're trying to predict the future, sure, there's a big point to that. But generically and generally speaking, like, the world, world is going to evolve mm-hmm. whatever way that it is, mm-hmm. right, as, as new things come in, right? And um, the way I think about that is um, as new technologies come in and we start seeing adoption, we can start thinking about what are the things we want to create, how do we want to be involved in them or not, right? And it's more of a decision. I, I would say that the thing I try to practice around this is like as best as I can is I try to be open to a lot of the newer things, mm-hmm. but only like when it's convenient for me, mm-hmm. not necessarily just force like early adopter style to do that. I used to do that. Now I'm just like, you know, when it shows up, it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it shows up for me and it makes sense, then I'll engage with it. Uh, I do like, you know, getting stuff early, but I still don't have an iPhone 10. Mm-hmm. I have a seven. I don't have the face ID. I have the fingerprint mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been okay with that three or four years ago. But like I want the new one every year. And it, it, there's no particular reason. Love Apple, love all that. Um, just don't need it. Yeah. Don't want it. Don't have a use for it today. And and the camera's good enough in my phone, mm. right? Um, so it, it's just an evolution I've gone through, which is like when it shows up, it shows up. I don't take it too seriously. And if it's related to my business, I probably take it a lot more seriously mm. personally. Well, that's okay. That brings up the point I wanted to mention to get out here was that that 
planning is really important as long as you don't get attached to that plan and you don't think that the plan actually represents reality. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because it never does. Um, yeah, it never does. Yeah. And it, but it's somehow helpful to, for you to go through that process and yeah. like almost turn it into a habit. Well, and that's why these postmortems are useful because then you can get closer to having a plan that's more accurate, even though it'll never be 100% accurate. Never say never. But, you know, so I think you're just trying to get closer to how do we do better? How can we make it more accurate to what we're thinking is going to happen? Mm. And these postmortems help you do that tremendously. So a really good tip from that is essentially you have intentional planning realizing that it's not going to be the way it turns out. Then you have the action itself. And then after you have the action, then you have the postmortem and that completes the whole loop. I think yeah. that's a really cool, cool thing. Um, so let's go talk about your company. What, what, what's sure. your company doing? So uh, the main thing I work on today is called FYI. Mm. And it's at usefyi.com. And the tagline is basically find your documents in three clicks or less. Mm. So we want you to be able to find your documents really quickly. Uh, we help you do that. And uh, it's more than just a search box. We've identified the ways that people find documents and built an interface to help you do that. Mm. And a core part of the interface is a Chrome extension that opens in your new tab. We have a web app and we have a desktop app. Mm. And we let you find things on your desktop too, right in your browser. And the thing that we're working on now that I'm excited about from a work standpoint is uh, what we call FYI for Teams Mm. uh, because we are starting to see that people are wanting their team to get this benefit as well. Mm. And we're looking to figure out how can we basically build more of the benefit of folks being able to find documents together or find documents that they've shared with each other uh, in easier, quicker, faster ways uh, inside the product. This is really interesting because this is goes back to our other thing about about no, uh, space repetition versus uh, versus the, uh, calls it first brain versus second brain type yeah. of thing. This is a second brain type of thing where it's like, where the, all the knowledge is there, all the information is there, my Gmail is full of information and I can't find it. I can't. That's it's right. so annoying. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, and so here's a question that nobody's been able to answer so far, which you are trying to answer, I guess, which is how can a computer find the information that I can't remember wanting? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, th- and this is your answer basically yeah. to this, to this. We to have this. to figure it out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We have to find the information you need yeah. when you need it. And and without, is it possible without me in the loop? <laughs> yeah, in an ideal world, yeah. without you thinking too much. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly right. the challenge. Yeah. That's the ultimate challenge there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Why this one? Uh, we did research and found mm-hmm. that the number one problem people have is finding documents across all the tools they use. So yeah. we connect to all the apps you use in the cloud and your desktop and, mm-hmm. um, you know, G Suite, Dropbox, Evernote, and OneDrive, uh, uh, box and you know a number of them and uh, counting and we help you find your stuff across mm-hmm. all those things uh, the main problem I find myself running into now is that a lot of this information that's really important is coming through communication and so communication yeah. in messenger chats so it's in messenger chats and those are walled gardens so you can't touch them like yeah. uh, that's really annoying to me <laughs> yeah some of them are not yeah. all of them okay, all right. yeah, stay yeah. tuned yeah. <laughs> cool yeah. alright awesome um, so what is uh, a book or a uh, actually, you know what? I, I I originally brought you on to talk about stress and creativity, um, yeah. and and I've been seeing you tweet about stress and stuff yeah. like that. So I'd like to understand what your relationship to stress is and creativity. We've talked about it a little. bit. Yeah, before. for me it's simple. It's like uh, I don't. Uh, this book was really fascinating to me because you mentioned book mm-hmm. uh, is the courage to be disliked. Mm-hmm. Yep. I found that book really powerful. For me, I have a hard time with that. Yep, right, too. and and the book was really impactful in the way that there's a boy and a guru basically, and they're talking about. This, these concepts, right? About it's okay to be disliked. Like, and you know, one of the most impactful concepts in there for me was tasks. Mm-hmm. 
And it's this idea that, is that your task or someone else's mm. task? Because you can get easily stressed out over other people's tasks. Mm. And so now I don't worry about other people's tasks, right? I used to worry a lot because I wanted to take care of them or help out or be kind or be perceived a certain way. And now I, I, I've stopped caring. And that's like one of the biggest concepts I got out of it. So to me, stress for me, and I think stress is very individualistic, comes from being attached to outcomes, usually being attached to outcomes because I don't want to be disliked. Mm. That's why I mentioned the book, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be liked. Like, mm -hmm. That's just a natural thing I gravitate towards. It's very common and, for many, many people. Yeah, like and, and stress comes out of that for me. And then there's all kinds of layers to it, right? And then in terms of creativity, I think I can be really perfectionist or really anal about launching something or doing something um, the right way. Mm -hmm. And I need to basically, not even need to, I get to figure out how to, how to determine when I should be like that and when I don't need to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that's more about the creativity, because like sometimes if you're too much of a perfectionist, the creativity doesn't come out. You don't have the idea. You don't have the spark. And sometimes you do. So, you know, to me, I think like uh, getting sort of more management around stress and understanding of what causes stress for me, how to just stop that uh, has been important. It's been a journey and I'm learning more every day. And then the other side of it is basically on the creativity side, like how do I make sure that um, I'm able to get the creative ideas out that I want mm. and be very creative without being encumbered by like perfectionism or mm. the idea that whatever I do has to be great. Mm. Cause it doesn't, mm. it just has to, you just have to be start better. usually yeah. with creativity. Yeah. And that's so interesting because for me, shadow work has unlocked that the most for me doing shadow work has unlocked that creativity aspect for me. Cause it's yeah. like, and that's something that I thought wouldn't happen. I thought it would be like, Oh, I'm going to go through this stuff. I'm going to look at those parts and then I'm going to go crazy. And then, you know, I'm going to go off and into the yeah. jungle or something like that. And, and you know, but none of that happened. Like yeah. none of my friends happened about doing the, the yeah. work and it's just like, it's, it's, it's just helping you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and really, I love that book because it talks about Adler. Most people look at Freud and they look at uh, Sigmund Freud. They look at Sigmund Freud and they look at uh, Carl Jung and they think this is it. This, yeah. These guys have it. And then there's this other guy, Adler, Alfred yeah. Adler. And nobody knows who the hell he no. is. Like, <laughs> and yeah. it's just it's about his work. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's and it's he comes he came up with the inferiority complex, the inferiority Correct. superiority complex. Because if you have an inferiority complex, you also have a superiority complex in other situations. Correct. Uh, and so, and he was just like. And then this book is beautiful because it was a Japanese guy who had who had read about yeah. it, and then and then wrote the book, and then wrote the so book. that you could teach people about yeah, the concepts. Yeah. So cool, so interesting, and it's a conversation I I, I love having um, uh, about globalization and the impact of globalization on spiritual practice and Absolutely. spiritual development, and innovation, and stuff yeah. like that. And it's not I don't say globalization as a negative or or a positive. A lot of shitty yeah, things but that happen. The internet, like things we talked about, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Access to information, and it all seems to start around 1800, 1850. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, very in interesting threads as to like. Most of the stuff we're, we're engaging with are come from this era, basically. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been really, really a great conversation. Yeah. I enjoyed Thanks it a lot. for having me. Yeah, thank you so yeah, much. And hi, everyone that uh, joined. Yeah. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Hit and Shah. If you do, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher by searching for Crazy Wisdom and subscribing. I release episodes every Monday and Friday. I'll be having some special content released through the week uh, that is available to you guys as subscribers. And uh, coming up, I'll have a little bit more information on that online course. I'm about to sit down with Anders Jones and kind of really flesh out what we're going to be offering, the value that we want to give startup founders and in, in offering them this information on how to raise money, the secrets to raising money. He rose $40 million in his Series A. Uh, so he knows a thing or two about raising money. Uh, so we're going to sit down and we're going to record something that uh, will release specifically for these subscribers um, and if you if you want to listen to that it might already be published by the time by the time you hear this episode 
but yeah, if you want to listen to that, go ahead and find us on iTunes, uh, searching for crazy wisdom. Or if you do want to apply, if you already know that you want to apply for this online course, uh, we're going to be accepting the best of, of the applicants. You can find us at stuartallsop.substack.com. Subscribe to the blog there, and I'll be releasing more information. Hope you guys have a great day, and please let me know what you think. Please let me know if this finds value. Particularly, I really liked what Hitten Shah says about samskaras here, because I've been working with samskaras. They're basically subtle impressions that experiences leave on our on our body. Um you know, when you have a difficult situation in childhood, you really can't integrate that experience totally and fully. And so it takes time. You got to do it when you're older. And so part of the spiritual work is going through and understanding where our past is getting in the way of fully living and enjoying and being and being productive and effective in this moment. That's something I really found value in this episode and hope you do too. Please let me know your thoughts. Have a great day.